Let us take our Bibles and turn to the very last chapter of the New Testament, Revelation 22. Hear the word of God in which is displayed to the Apostle John and to us, heaven. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Our text this evening is the last prayer in the Bible, John's prayer in response to Jesus' asseveration of his coming. 
The response is a prayer, even so come Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful prayer, the last of the Bible, the last of the book of Revelation, and it's grounded. John can be, here, can be sure that God will hear his prayer because Jesus has just told him what he's about to pray. Jesus has just said, surely I'm coming quickly. John responds, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. His prayer is grounded. And it's grounded in this amazing truth of the coming of the Lord, which is for, for Jesus' great glory, and which is for John and the church salvation and blessing and the glorification of the people of God and, and heaven itself. This, beloved, is something we need to remember at the turn of a new year, in, into the new year, and we need to ask ourselves the question, is our life and our prayer life so centered on this prayer, even so come Lord Jesus. Many things we'll be praying for, that's good. There are many needs, many concerns we have, the church has, and we have them, and there's even more than we can count are our needs. But we need to be focused, and I want to commend to your attention that if we have this prayer as our principal prayer, that the Lord would come in 2023, all will be well with our prayer life, and our life itself will be well-ordered and grounded in the truth, the truth that gives Jesus all the preeminence, his coming again in glory. I want to consider this coming, our prayer for it, and the great benediction that's at the end of this prayer the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That, in fact, will be the benediction that I pronounce to you tonight. And may God bless us through that benediction, but right now, through this preaching. The subject of John's prayer is a, an important theme, of course, in the Bible. It concerns the coming of the Lord. And the coming of the Lord is basically the Lord's progressive appearing in time. Jesus, or, or God, I should say, the triune God, is the God of this creation, of course. He's made everything, and he's in every particle of this creation. That's his providence, withholding all things by the word of his power. He is also his God, guiding everything. But the coming has to do with his increasingly appearing and showing himself in this creation, and especially in three ways. First of all, God's coming is his coming to speak into this world. It's the coming of him who would, in fact, reveal himself in his speech as the God of a word. That's what God is doing history long. He's speaking into this world, the world that he's made by his word and which declares his glory is now history long from the beginning of time, the recipient of the message that this God is approaching. That's what the coming of the Lord is. Secondly, the coming of the Lord is his coming to save a people. 
is speaking the word to save a people. This word, of course, is Jesus Christ. It was also the providential word of God and who now would be revealed as the saving God himself. Christmas, children, is all about the word of God. Become, come into this world in the flesh. Thirdly, speaks and reveals himself and saves a people, those two things, but especially the goal is that God would glorify his own name. This is how we understand this wonderful God. He would glorify his name. He's God, and he can do that. He, should, he would be, we would expect, that all would bow before him and show himself as worthy of bowing before, and that's exactly what he does. And when he comes, and the closer and closer he comes, is to show his magnificence and to show that he is worthy to be submitted to and to be yielded to as the God of gods besides whom there is no other. So God comes, and he comes history long. His coming is a long time coming. He comes and works all things according to his counsel, Ephesians 1 tells us. So according to this plan, he has determined and he executes this determination to come into his world. Creation and providence are all about the Christ. By him and for him, God made the worlds, Colossians 1 tells us, that in all things and then in the saving of the people, Jesus Christ might have the preeminence. There are especially two main comings. The first is Jesus coming in humiliation. We just celebrated that at Christmas time. Die on the cross, the coming to uh, establish the church in the atonement of God and to rise again from the dead and to ascend into glory and now to rule all things at the right hand of God. That was in the fullness of time. Then there's this second main event, his coming, his final coming in glory. And the book of Revelation is all about this. Revelation is Jesus coming after he came the first time and now in history since then, is coming again. This is that for which John is praying in particular, the second coming of Jesus. Really, it needs to be summarized, does Revelation, and understood around that theme, the coming of the Lord God in Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 verse 7 hints at that when it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Well, that's Jesus, of course, and that sets the theme of the whole of the book of Revelation. And the date setters, and those who are the sensationalists, and who slip from the, uh, who, I should say, sway from and stray from the main theme of Revelation, they go crazy with Revelation. They come up with all kinds of uh, notions about what's going on here, but stick to the theme and you will not go very far astray. Just stick to the theme. It's all about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And he comes in glory now. 
He is this one who describes himself in Revelation 1 as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And he tells John what you see, write in a book and send it to the, church, uh, to the seven churches. But then there's this vision of this Son of God who's coming. It's really glorious. I must share it with you. There's a voice of one, <clears throat> verse 12, and he has, and having turned, John sees seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. It's no wonder when John, the apostle John, saw him, he fell as a dead man before his feet. He could hardly bear the vision of the coming Lord, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this Jesus... And the the end of the book of Revelation describes his coming no less than three times. It is announced, behold, I'm coming quickly. Behold, I'm coming quickly, verse 7, verse 12. And he's just announced to John, surely I'm coming quickly. Well, what does this mean? We said that the coming of the Lord is his appearance in time, his progressive appearance. He shows himself more as the God who's God, the God who saves, and the God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ to glorify his name. And then there's this quickness about his coming. Now, there's a lot of confusion about that, the timing of this. And this, is, this has led to all sorts of date setting by sects who, who imagine that Jesus comes in 1792 and, or uh, whenever he, he comes, whenever they, they think to put the math together. But it's not about that. To be sure, the coming of Jesus is quick in the sense of near or at hand. Now that's how the Bible in other places describes the coming of Jesus. He's, his coming is near. In chapter 1, John has even said that the time is at hand or the time is near. First John as well says the time is, is now, something like that. But now, this is not a reference simply to a short amount of time. This is what some people think that John is, is saying here and Jesus is saying here. That Jesus Christ, <clears throat> because he's saying these things, was intending to indicate that he's going to come any day now and in fact, some people say, he did come already. Do you know there are people who believe that? That Jesus Christ already came. They're called hyper-preterists. They're saying that the whole book of Revelation, at least 99.9% of it, as well as the whole New Testament, is something that's fulfilled already. And what they'll do is they'll take these texts, like he's coming quickly, the time is at hand, the time is near, and they'll say, that must mean that Jesus, if he's going to be this true witness, meant what he said, and that this generation to which he wrote would not pass away before all these things came to pass. Those are, I say, the hyper-preterists, but they are seriously mistaken. 
For in the first place, the word quickly need not be translated as in the ESV, soon, but as in the New King James, quickly. That's appropriate and indicating as it does not necessarily that there's just a short amount of time, like three years before Jesus comes, but it could very well refer to it coming suddenly, as if no one could notice his coming. And Jesus describes his coming in those words of suddenness and nobody being aware of it, and he speaks of the fact that he will come and his coming will be as a thief in the night. He will catch everyone off guard and rubbing their eyes and wondering what's just happened. In fact, the time should not be interpreted, even the suddenness of it, in human ways. I would suggest to you that there's big words to describe something that really is quite simple. That is an eschatological perspective, a perspective that God himself takes of time and of the end time. And here we have this eschatological perspective of imminence, God describing something which to us is very near and which we should be ready for because he's coming quickly and we don't want to be caught unawares. But to God, this timing isn't the important thing. But the fact that he's coming is. The fact that he is certainly coming is the most important thing and we ought to be ready for this. The Bible speaks, after all, of a day with God being as a thousand years, 2 Peter 3, verse 8. That's God's timing. God has spent history long, some 6,000 years in coming into it and so far, and this has been but a short time, as it were. For God, you see, it's not about his waiting impatiently and having a clock like we do, but again, one day is as a thousand years. Now, children, if it's been 2,000 years since God wrote this book in Revelation, it's now the year 2023, and this was written in the end of the first century A.D., about 2,000 years, you know what that means? From God's perspective, it's only been two days. Two days since he wrote these things. One day is as a thousand years. Try to think that way when you're thinking of the timing of God. And you know then, it's not about this date setting, which people are, they love to do with Revelation, and they love to interpret all kinds of things outside of the theme of, of the coming of Christ. Try to be wise instead of arithmetic, to do the numbers. Be wise. That's what we're led here to think about. This is God's perspective. In fact, many Reformed interpreters have interpreted Jesus coming quickly and are praying for this as this reflecting that there's nothing left on the eschatological calendar or the end times calendar of God for God to do except come the final time. In the Old Testament, when God was coming, Jesus had to come the first time. He had to die. He couldn't come the second time before he came the first time. He had to come the first time. 
He had to die. He had to rise again. He had to send forth the Spirit. That was a kind of coming. But now, nothing waits to be done in that cataclysmic sort of way except the final day. Now, there are all sorts of signs that presage uh, and precede his coming, but nothing that Jesus would have to do to accomplish salvation. He's already attained the victory. Now he's come, and he's at the door, and he's just about to come so that he will apply salvation to everyone for whom he died and rose again. Another way of looking at this, and then I'll leave off on this subject, is that Jesus did come in a very special way in the first century in 70 A.D., And that was his coming to destroy Jerusalem. This is pictured in Matthew 24, this destruction of Jerusalem, as it is also in Revelation, as a type of the end of his coming. It's not exhaustively his coming at the end, but it's the beginning when the Jews are destroyed as the people of God and when the Gentiles then are gone to and all the nations are infiltrated by the gospel, that's this dawn of a new age. It's this veritable overturning of the religious structures, the old covenant, so that the establishment of the new is this amazing thing and this all happened in a typical sort of way, a prophetic way, even pointing to the end of time itself when Jesus would come in glory, when God in judgment visited the Jews in that terrible holocaust of 70 AD, the destruction not only of temples, uh, a temple and a city, but of an Old Testament economy and nation. So he's coming quickly and He's coming victoriously. He's coming certainly. And this certainty of his coming is as faithful as he who testifies of these things. Surely I am coming quickly. That faithful witness is Jesus. So we've spoken of the coming of Jesus. That it is the coming of our God to reveal himself, to save his church, and to glorify his own name. This is a quick coming. That is, it's the next thing on the timetable of God. We would look at our watch and say, yes, it's the next thing on our watches. God's saying that on his watch. And he's watching and he's working so that all things come to pass quickly, even as he has determined. Then there's his people that praise for his coming. And that's my second point. There's a people that praise for this coming. Now, this is remarkable because of everything I've just said. God's coming is relentless. He's coming. And then there's the question that arises and ought to uh, arise in every reformed conscience. If God is coming and he's sovereign, he's the king, why do we need to pray for his coming 
It's a good question. And that's why people object to this stumbling block of sorts of, of Calvinism. When control, if he's so God, how can it be that there's any place for prayers, for good works, for holiness, for concerns? Why should it be that we pray in 2023 that the Lord Jesus would come? Because he said it, I'm coming. Some people even think that to pray then would be to doubt what he said. Why are you praying for it? He said he's coming. You don't need to pray for it. Oh, beloved, this is the age-old conundrum, no. Juxtaposition, yes, simply put, this age-old togetherness of what's called sovereignty and responsibility. They go hand in hand. They're like sisters. Twin truths. The Bible never contradicts itself, and when it extols God as the king, at the same time, it extols the fact that we are made his responsible children. And our calling and our privilege is to pray for what God has said he will do and to be involved, therefore, in the wonderful execution of the plan of the ages and especially of the New Testament when God says in Jesus Christ, his Son, I am coming into this world and to end this world and that there might be a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Not only are God's people responsible, and we know that, and we want to act responsibly, we're his bride. We're the bride of Christ. What bride doesn't pray for the husband to come? Revelation twenty-two seventeen. look at that. And the spirit and the bride say, Come! That's who we are. And that whom who hears every individual believer. Come! Calling for the bride, groom, to come. What a wonderful picture. That's who we are, you know, together. Church of Christ, bride of Christ. Lovely figure of the relationship of God in Jesus and his church. We love the appearing of Christ. In fact, that's why the grace of God has appeared in these last days. Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, and here's how, here's the look. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, the chief of which is prayer. The bride longs for the groom, and the bride prays and prepares herself to receive the groom. We are saved by his blood, his spirit, his word, 
And we pray then that it would come. Not that we think his coming depends on our praying. It doesn't. That's not how you bring together sovereignty and responsibility because that's taking away from sovereignty, sovereignty. You can't make so man so responsible that it means God's sovereignty depends upon man's responsibility. No. The coming of God is not altered one whit by our praying, as if, for example, the more people pray, the faster he'll come, or the more fervent we pray, the faster he will come. In fact, he will come at a different rate that he decreed. That can't be. That's messing up theology. That's saying here's an interpretation to the effect of denying the rest of the Bible. Put them together, beloved, and if you can't understand it, praise God. Because if you could understand him, he wouldn't be God. But we pray. And we say we pray exactly because we believe in Jesus. And Jesus, as John has just noted, has said, surely I am coming quickly and I'm the one who testifies of these things. And he's referring back in verse 20 to everything in verse 20, uh, chapter 22, but everything in the whole of the Bible. We believe in Jesus. Jesus says so. And therefore, the first part of our prayer is amen to what Jesus says. What's meant by that is, I, I agree with Jesus. Do you agree with Jesus? That's a good thing to do. Agree with Jesus. Say amen to Jesus. And be consistent in all of your life so that it's not amen in church only and then we'll think about it later with regard to another activity that you want to engage in. Beloved, Jesus is amen, and we are to say amen on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And we're back around to Blessed Sunday. Amen. That's the start of our prayers, this conviction. See, what we're believing is that God comes and God comes quickly and there's nothing left on his timetable and he's clearing the boards, as it were. He has cleared them so that there'll be time for this. And we're agreeing to that and we're making time for that too. And we don't want to be caught thinking, oh, I see God coming. I just don't want it right now. I'm too busy. I've got to get married in June. June 3rd, maybe. And I don't know if anybody's getting married June 3rd. And surely Jesus couldn't come before that. Imagine if he came June 2nd. Would you be happy with that? You got to get married first. Beloved, the idea here is that we come, we, we, we hope Jesus comes, we pray about it so ardently that 
We want him to come, and it doesn't matter if he messes up our plans. In fact, we even want to change our plans before he messes them up so that when he comes, he finds that our plans have been under his plans. And we've been saying all along, God willing, God willing, God willing, knowing that we just don't know, do we? But we know that Jesus is coming, and that's the best thing. And he's coming in answer to our prayer. And the people of God, when they pray this then, are having biblical hope. And the top priority, heaven. See how important that is to have a a heavenly concept of the kingdom of God. We're praying for the kingdom to come, for the king to come. And ours is no earthly hope. However however much we want to be influential in this world, and we should be, it should be with hope in heaven, first of all. And for the coming of the king and the kingdom that comes not with observation. It's not measured by how many politicians we get elected, how many policies we get overturned or established that seem more in line with the will of God than we would think. Careful here. A lot of people in the name of Christ have earthly agendas. What John is reminding us in the very last prayer of the Bible is, look up, look up. Have your hope in heaven, feet on the ground, to be sure, not lacking diligence with regard to your calling in this earth to be salt and light, but always looking, pilgrim, for your home. And for that great event in which will be the beginning of eternity, And you never want to go back then. That's why this year you have loved ones die. Don't ever want them back. They've gone home first. Some of us have had loved ones who've gone first. They've gone home first. You're so glad for them and for heaven And it only increases your looking forward to Jesus coming again quickly. So our praying and John's praying here, his whole life of faith, he prays when he prays this and when we pray this, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're praying to be ready. We're praying to be as the five wise virgins, not as the five foolish virgins who actually thought, that Jesus was coming and they were ready for a little while, but then they got negligent and and they didn't trim their wicks and they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They were walking according to sight and not, not by faith. But we're ready. Besides praying, then we also preach. I hope you preach here. So that the kingdom comes. Do you realize that? The kingdom comes and Jesus comes on the wings of prayer not only, 
But as the church of Jesus Christ exercises the keys of the kingdom, shuts it to unbelievers, opens it to believers, God's people, and so there's advancement. Advancement of the kingdom is advancement of the coming of God. So that finally, as Revelation 22 has has told us there's going to be people inside heaven and people not inside heaven. And there will be this condemnation. He was unjust, will be unjust still. He was filthy, will be filthy still. He was righteous, will be righteous still. He is holy, let him be holy still. You see, there's an urgency about this whole thing, this whole chapter, this whole book. If you read it, you could hardly read it at one sitting. But you need to almost. Because there's things that are moving along here and they're, and they're, they're proceeding apace about this one theme, the coming of the Lord. There's the riding of the horseman and leading the way is the white horse. And the white horseman, that's Jesus. That's the triumph of the gospel. That's the coming of the Lord who was and is and is to come. We will be ready and looking for the signs of his coming. The signs of the nations, the signs of society, the signs in the church of Jesus Christ. We will be wise. We will pray that God would bless us in the midst of conflict. And that, beloved, is why the benediction, my final point, is so precious. We pray for the coming of the Lord. It shall come. He shall come quickly. No one will hinder his coming. Not you, not I, not devils, or a thousand. They will not hinder his coming because he comes for his bride. And he comes and he's glorified and he will be glorified in the coming of his son. But the conflict is great, and we know that. And the book of Revelation is all about this end times conflict. There's the seven churches of Asia Minor who are written and they represent the church of the New Testament age and they've got all kinds of problems, not all of them. Some seem to be almost perfect churches and we say, well, that doesn't apply to us, but it does because there's this principle of perfection and holiness, I should say, that is implanted in the church of Christ and that we're different than the world. We're the light of the world, the city on a hill, denying left and right his coming. They deny the, the claims of Jesus. They think it's a fake. They think he's deluded people. They think Christianity is a drug. And what does Peter say in Second Peter 3? That they deny, they deny his coming. He's tarried so long. Where's the promise of his coming, they say. And you Christians, you always have this message of doom and gloom and judgment and so on and and. If it's salvation, it's only for a certain few called the elect. Oh, you proud people, they say. We have nothing to do with this religion, which is so exclusive and, and which gives God glory in this person who's Jesus of Nazareth, who probably was a bastard anyway. And the New Testament theology just attests to the fact that you Christians are out to make war and not peace and all of this stuff. And I can hang with Jesus a little bit, but forget Paul and Romans 9 and predestination and that book of Revelation. What a joke.
Where are you, beloved? In the conflict, I mean. Because the denial occurs not just in the lack of theology in the world, but in the church's wrong theology and in our living as if Jesus isn't coming. You know what I mean? 2023, what will it be? What is your resolution? What is mine? May it be to live more holy and more ready for the end of time. This is not to scare you, except if that works, be scared. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we must persuade men and women and lazy elders and lazy deacons and lazy pastors and lazy parishioners who think it's just the officers, they're the ones who have to do something. What is it among you? And I say the same thing at Sovereign Grace Church. Everyone needs to hear this. The coming quickly of Jesus is designed to be an incentive for godliness. We think it's simply an excuse to live the way we want to because he's going to come and spoil our party and disturb our lifestyle. Young people, do not be deceived. Be serious about the Lord. Grace to you. It's so beautiful. You see, there's this promise of Jesus coming at the end. The grace, that's the benediction, the final word of the Bible, a benediction. That's for now. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all now. Before he comes, before it's all heaven and bliss and everything, now here's grace, favor, power, and beauty. That's what grace is. Free favor, almighty power, and beauty to adorn the bride. Isn't this what you need? This is something you see that could only be written at the end of the New Testament. Do you know what the last word of the the, uh, Old Testament was? Curse. And here you have the last word of the New Testament, grace. Do you know what? The first words of man were, here's the last words of man, a prayer that Jesus would come. The first words of man were, Adam were, when God said, where was he? He was hiding behind the bushes. Adam said, I heard your voice and I was afraid. First words of man to God. Meaning, Adam was found not wanting God to come. I don't want God to come. He finds out I'm in a heap of trouble. He hides. But John says, and the church says, Oh, come. Come, Lord Jesus. We've been visited by grace before, you know, in the fullness of the time, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. 
That's in Jesus. He's come into our lives and he's graced us. He's filled the church and filled our hearts. We'd only see it with grace and favor and peace and beauty. We know we're not our own. We belong to Jesus. We should be encouraged. And so we know our need. We're going to receive this grace because I have a lot. I need more. But we can trust as much as we can trust the coming of the Savior that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us all. Do you trust that Lord, the Lord of his coming and the Lord of grace? I know you do. Trust in God and go forward into this year. Heralds of the coming of the Lord and those who pray for it. Amen. We thank you, Father, for the the blessing of the word of God. We pray that we all may hear and hear the echoes of it. And may we be prayers for the coming of Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you would so bless this congregation that may live for this other world, even as now they seek to be a light in this world of the coming world. May all our hopes and fears be those things that are resolved in Jesus Christ and his coming. Lord, pardon our sins of preaching and hearing. Use the weakest of means, even a vessel of earth, to dispense your treasure. May the people be rich and adorned with the righteousness of Christ this week and every day. Amen.